Thank you for listening to the Dead Sea Podcast with your host, Daishik Kim. So I'm here with Jessica Zimmerly, who is a part of Earth Ministry, and I'm going to butcher it. Oh, I already lost it. The second part of the name is Washington Interfaith Power and Light. Correct. And it's such a cool name that pre-show we should have been talking about more of the Earth Ministry stuff and what exactly Interfaith Power and Light means, but we ended up talking about Game of Thrones. Always. Can't help it. And uh, I started calling her Malisandra instead of her name Jessica, which is probably disrespectful, but she's kind of a cool character. Yeah. I don't know if Melisandre is the right association, but <laughs> I'll own it. So she's, can you picture Melisandre being a part of Earth Ministry? Mm. I don't know. I don't know if the Lord of Light is exactly what we're going for, but we are interfaith and welcome all traditions to the table. That's a good so. point. If you're interfaith, you can't deny Melisandre and That's her true. Lord of Light. Yes. She seems like she has a pretty big following. Yeah, I mean, they might care a bit about creation. The Pope has come out with the encyclical. Did I say that right? Yes. The encyclical. It's funny because I just listened to a nine-minute clip on YouTube of Jessica being drilled with questions from different parties of the government. I'm not going to drop names, but really drilling her on questions about, like, why this matters, how is this sustainable, and one of the questioners it's pronounced encyclical wrong and the person filming the video is just like murmuring under his breath encyclical (laughs) the word is encyclical so i just want to point it out that i got it right encyclical i also was practicing for like 30 minutes trying to say it correctly that's okay i don't i don't think any of us non-catholics knew what an encyclical was a few months ago Mm -hmm. but it, it turns out it's the second highest statement that the pope can make What's the first? I believe the first is something where he sits on the chair of St. Peter, and that's really, really divine. But this is second to that. So This this message, I guess growing up, I always assumed anything the Pope was involved in, anything that came from the Vatican, just really didn't matter to anyone who wasn't Catholic. But this is a pretty big deal for all people of faith. Right. It's It could be argued that the Pope is the most powerful person in the world. Uh, He definitely has influence among Catholics, of which there are 1.2 billion in the world. But I think especially Pope Francis is kind of changing that conversation as he is this figure that people of faith from all traditions look up to as he's really walking the talk. And he uh, is the Pope of the people, really. And that's really appealing and uh he's certainly caught the world's attention on a variety of different issues right so the you would say the pope is the most powerful person on the earth like it's not one of those uh queen of england high power but really not it's just like the face of something but the pope actually still has a lot of influence certainly and and definitely within catholic communities uh which i again I'm not Catholic, don't fully understand, but there's a very hierarchical system there. And uh, so it's a big deal for him to make a statement that's so explicitly for environmental justice. 
Right, we're not just watching TMZ to see, like, the Pope's new baby. Yeah, yeah. Even though that would be a huge scandal. That would be. <laughs> I'd be jealous. I have a big crush on the Pope. Pope Francis, if you're listening, which you are, I didn't mean that joke. But you know what Save I mean. Save your soul. Like, I feel like there are a lot of uh, figureheads out there that we're so intrigued by. And now I think, uh, I don't even know what the king and queen's name is. And um, that just had the baby. It was huge news. Kate. Kate and John. No. Plus William. <laughs> no? No. Prince William. Prince William. Right, right, right. Okay, yes. okay. Anyway, but the Pope, we're not comparing those two because the Pope still has a lot of push. It will continue to have a big push. And this Pope in particular has stirred up a lot of things so far. Mm-hmm. Um, just a little background of the Pope for those who don't know. He has... Uh, he has a master. He has a degree in biology. Is chemistry. that right? He chemistry. He was a chemist in his past life. He was also a bouncer, so pope like a Francis. bouncer at a club. Yeah. Okay, so this pope, who is not only top, at least top five most powerful people in the world, used to be a bouncer, so he will drop kick you. Oh yeah, you don't want to mess with the pope. <laughs> so he's his own secret service. <laughs> really yeah i mean uh i i'd say not anymore that, that was a lot younger in his youth right but uh i mean i imagine usually like celebrities now i can't imagine any of them being able to hold their own ground because you have so much security oh but the pope's not about that have you seen the pope mobile he had them take out all the glass bulletproof protection and whatnot because he wants to be there with the people wow and he'll just take a regular car none See, of this I feel like you're presenting that as the Pope being humble and being like wanting to be with the people. To me, it feels like the Pope's doing that to say, hey, you want some? Come and get it. Like, it's like the old school video game where you go through all the stages and the last battle is with the Pope. And just like old school, because the Pope's very old school, he will, he's going to be there at the boss round, the final round. He's Bowser. <laughs> the Pope is Bowser. I'm just saying. I wouldn't um, want to take him on, though. I wouldn't either. He yeah. He's a chemist. So he's a mad scientist and a bouncer. He's like Doc Ock mixed with Lord Zed from Power Rangers. But this holy, holy man that cares about the people. Yeah. So, like, just sprinkle some Captain Planet on there. So that's the Pope. That's the Pope. And And that's a really good introduction, foundation of what we're here to talk about today. Because he came out with a statement, the second most important statement the pope can make as you just mentioned jessica the encyclical and the whole 216 pages something like that uh 110 oh (laughs) it's still a lot of pages so the whole 110 pages about environmental care environmental justice and really from my interpretation from it from people like you who have the hard work of digesting the whole thing and kind of regurgitating it for me to understand is that this is really not only a piece of awareness, but also a call to action. Correct. From people, for people of faith. I mean, you stroll into my congregation, Jessica, and you give this very detailed, elaborate, well-articulated argument on what the heck is going on with the earth and why this matters. Kind of a, a better presented version of... Al Gore's inconvenient truth, <laughs> which at the time everybody thought was he was crazy and mm-hmm. too much. 
years later, it's like, hmm, maybe he was on to something. And, you know, I think, you know, the Pope addresses very well that this is not just something to increase our curiosity and be like, oh, wait a minute, this is really important. And kind of forget about it a week later with a lot of things that we're involved in, I guess. But the the part I'm wondering about is when does that transition happen individually from curiosity and interest to the desire to make a change, I guess. Right. And does it have to be personal? Um, when, when did it start for you? Like, when did you start caring about this type of work? Well, I have an interesting backstory. Uh, I started caring about this when I was abroad in Madagascar. Um, and I went there totally unaware of what I was going to encounter, which was really heartbreaking poverty and also beautiful people in a one of a kind place and kind of realizing that or I guess wanting to dig into the way we can connect to nature and caring for it more responsibly through pre-existing value systems and I did some work there on that and I kind of brought that back had a lot of reverse culture shock, getting reacclimated to the states and, and looking at what we can do here and how to be a, an activist on a local level and be a good uh, global citizen at the same time. And the campaign that drew me into that was our work that I'm still working on today with Earth Ministry is standing in solidarity with the Lummi Nation up at Cherry Point near Bellingham where their sacred land uh, much like you were saying earlier in Hawaii, is is being threatened by a proposed coal export terminal and um, and working to say no and draw the line to that um, because of the cultural, spiritual, and economic impacts on their life ways. And um, so that's a really strong component of interfaith work that Earth Ministry is currently working on. Um, I've lost the original question that you were asking. No, I mean, that was good. So a part of it was your exposure to this happening firsthand, first in Madagascar, where I think the general assumption of Madagascar is this tourist place. You go there, have a great time, talk to some animals. Hang out with the lemurs. Hang out with the lemurs. Probably people associate Madagascar with the movie Mm -hmm. now that it's come out. Maybe it helped the tourism industry a little bit. But really, you were there as a a participant of the community, and you saw firsthand what was happening there. And you mentioned poverty. Mm -hmm. But you also mentioned happiness. Right. Which is a very unusual combination. It, It kind of gets at a lot of what Pope Francis is saying in the encyclical, which he really advocates that we step back from our consumerist lifestyle. And this idea of less is more, which I've been uh, challenging myself with in my own life. I'm a member of the Lutheran Volunteer Corps. And so, LVC? LVC. And I've done this for two years, and we live on a very limited stipend. And so this idea of living simply and finding more joy in the small things, I think. So your small stipend is intentional for you to practice anti-consumerism? Correct. 
weakness. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. That sounds like a great sales pitch for future people I will hire. I'm, I'm, I'm totally joking. <laughs> Just joking, LVC. Poverty, happiness happening in Madagascar, which does not make sense to our Western mind. Because what we think of poverty is those those kids on infomercials, the people that us savior-driven Americans want to help and send 10 bucks a month to, which I'm not dogging down... Um, any of those organizations, Operation Christmas Child, etc. But what you saw was, in some sense, a contradiction. That they didn't have a lot. They didn't have a lot of um, food to eat, I guess, at least in variety. But off air, you were mentioning that you had a lot of rice. Oh, yeah. They eat the most rice in the world, believe it or not. Which she is talking to a Hawaiian and Asian American <laughs> right now. And... Apparent, I don't know. Apparently, Madagascar eats the most rice ever. Two pounds a day. Think you can stomach it? It's a uh, lot. That sounds like a lot because rice is not that heavy. So that that's a lot of rice. It's a mountain of rice every day. Three meals a day. That's a lot of carbs. But if you take the rice away from a Malagasy, they are not pleased. Hmm. All right, so they were they were happy, and part of the the rice was I'm sure was to keep them full because rice really does get you full. Mm -hmm. That's why the the biggest winners of society are sushi buffets, because even though it sounds like an awesome deal, you're not gonna eat that much sushi. So the rice was sustainable for them, but it was also on the cheaper side. Right. And so th that was something that you're experiencing and living with, and what poverty looks like in a place where resources. I mean. Was it limited? What was the source of the impoverished community? Uh, there was a lot of political unrest. There was a coup, and they had no government while I was there, so they weren't receiving any aid. Uh, so it was kind of a unique situation, and I know that not everyone has the privilege and the opportunity to travel and to experience this uh, type of global poverty and the effects of climate change. I think it's important to look in our own backyards and see where environmental justice issues are in our own communities. So for instance, in Seattle, there's a 16-year life, expect life expectancy difference between the North End and the South End. 16. 16 years. I learned that on the Duwamish River tour with Puget Sound Sage. Shout out to them. They're awesome. You're just naming these titles of people that are insane. You met a sage. <laughs> no. This is an organization called so Puget Sound Sages. Sage. They uh, advocate for communities of color mm -hmm. um, and in terms of environmental justice issues. Okay. So the, the 16 years gap, right? The, the differences between the North and South End. Is it, it's, is it simply from environmental crises or? So a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of factors at play there. Uh, when I was there and I learned that figure, it was on a, learning more about the port and the impacts of the port. So they proposed to build the port in Magnolia. Uh, residents there fought it. So they put it down by Georgetown instead. And um, now... Due to that, due to placements uh, between the two interstates, uh, there's incredible air pollution, um, which if you look at zip codes and you look at uh, 
economic brackets and you compare them to air quality, uh, it's incredible to see how it just lines up that communities of color, low income communities always face the most dire consequences of um, environmental destruction. Um, so a lot of times the main factor is air and water. In regards to the consumerism culture that we have in America, and we love our Walmarts in America, right? We mm. love our Walmarts. We love our Targets. We love our Costco's. I recently read an article about how, I think you posted it, how buying in bulk Oh, yeah, I did post that. Right. Look at that. Buying in bulk is not always better. Actually, it's not better, right? Correct. It's counterintuitive. People think that it's more sustainable to buy in bulk, but in fact, it is not. It leads to more food waste. I believe it. Mm -hmm. I've been, I've done that before. Your eyes are always bigger than your stomach. My mom always told me never go grocery shopping when you're hungry. It's a wise mother. I mean, it makes sense. You buy the craziest things when you're hungry. Oh, yeah. You think you could eat a whole case of kiwis and then you get home and you're t totally kiwied out by the fifth one. You cannot. How do you even eat more than two kiwis? Your your mouth gets weird. Yeah, that's. So the uh, consumerism culture, all of that, Walmart's bad. Like, I, we get it. We, we've heard that. We've heard the protests. We heard the people fight it. Um, these mass-produced items, it seems nice, but really uh, the way that it ends up in the stores is not humane environmentally as well as labor, manual labor. Um, but, I mean, my question with all of that is how much of this anti-Walmart, anti-Target, anti-easy way to consume things is a privileged conversation? I mean, if if I'm talking to a low-income family who needs to buy different items for their house, they need to buy cereal for the week, and they need to buy, I don't know, pillows or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling them, hey, Walmart is not a good place to shop. It's actually, you're you're hurting the environment. You're hurting people. What alternative options do they have with the budget that they carry? Right. And that's a core struggle with environmental justice and with the kind of reform that we are advocating for. So, for example, with the issue of um, low-income consumers, uh, one of the campaigns that Earth Ministry is currently working on is our Toxics campaign in coalition with the Washington State Toxics Coalition. And we just launched a really exciting new cam campaign targeting Costco and encouraging them to create a chemical safety standard and to remove toxic flame retardants from their upholstered furniture. So essentially, anything that you sit on with a cushion has added flame retardants that are linked to cancer, learning disabilities, and reproductive harm. So that's a huge issue for all consumers, but especially for low-income consumers who don't have the privilege, the money, the resources to shop at specialty stores, right. to look and research everything that their child is coming into contact with. So what we're doing is working with the manufacturers and the retailers and pressuring them, advocating that they sell safer products so that consumers don't have to 
carry that burden of trying to figure out what is what and that it closes the disparity between having to choose between a couch that's toxic a crib that's toxic a car seat that's toxic uh, when you also need to put food on the table Right. I mean, we just ate lunch at Metropolitan Market. I think that's the name. Oh, my gosh. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Jessica's going to get fired. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was an experiment. It was a social experiment. <laughs> or right, I forgot to put the disclaimer out there. But I'm, I'm assuming the tomatoes they sell there are a lot healthier, less. Um, what is the word I'm looking for? The poison. Pesticides. I'm assuming the tomatoes that they organic? sell there are more organic and le- has uh, contains less pesticides, different chemicals that are that farms and factories put on vegetables and fruits and other produce to allow it to last longer, right? Kill the bugs, etc. It's probably it's probably better than the local mom and pop store in the neighborhood whatever that sells it for a quarter of the price but who can shop there so what you're saying is that instead of advocating these specialty stores which i'm sure you do a little bit of you are going into the marketplace where lower income families need to shop because of their budget and kind of create a changing the environment there Mm -hmm. and saying hey i know y'all sell cheap stuff and it's great and you're helping the community, but we need to be thinking about their health at the same time. Is it is it always is it not always the case where creating less poisonous things and better products for people does that always mean it's going to be more expensive? I think in the big picture, it doesn't have to. Um, there's going to be certainly a period of transition, and so in a lot of this with our work. For example, we're looking at putting a price on carbon in Washington state. And a big component of that is revolving around equity issues with communities of color. And so um, we're part of a broad alliance working on this campaign. And we refused to accept anything that didn't include this working family tax rebate for it. Because we know that the burden of this transitionary time as we move towards a clean energy economy will fall more heavily on low-income communities of color. So that's something to be aware of and to include in our policies that they be fair and equitable as we transition. Let's dig deeper into um, the Pope's encyclical. Yes, let's. Because you've been studying this for the past couple of days. I have. Working very, very hard. Like I'm like, hey, we need to discuss this podcast episode. And you're like, I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm digging deeper, deeper, deeper. You may know this piece of text, 110 pages or so, better than the Pope himself. I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, right. That's true. That'd be bad. <laughs> but, you know, and creating better resources for simpletons like myself who needs an abridged version. Because, I mean, I'm not saying you need a chemistry degree to understand what the Pope is talking about, but it's a pretty dense document. There are parts. But there are practical things that the Pope mentions in this document that the everyday person of faith can begin to do. What are some of those things? I mean, the Pope talks a lot about our consumerist society and this throwaway culture that we are ourselves drawn into. And... 
the need to kind of resist that and return to more simpler lifestyles. But he also talks a lot about large-scale policy reform. And that's kind of gets at the heart of what Earth Ministry does. So we work with individuals, we work with congregations, but then we provide an on-ramp to um, both of those groups to raise their voice through faithful advocacy and to demand for policies to incorporate our shared moral values, which include care for the creation and standing up for the most vulnerable among us. So Earth Ministry is more of like a resource for those those places who are seeking. Yeah, so I'm kind of a support system for them. And I like to think of Earth Ministry as a bridge. So we're a small organization and we come in and we help build that foundation for what again, why people of faith care about creation. And then we have our greening congregations certification program, which I staff. We've had about 60 congregations across the state and region go through that process where the community gets on board and they hone in on their shared mission and what direction they want to take their avenue of creation care. So some are really into gardening. Others really want to bring language around creation care into their worship and liturgy. Others want to do community outreach, like documentary movie screenings, and others want to do faithful advocacy, which is where a lot of our congregations and members are at this point, as we've been around for 27 years. It's kind of the natural segue. So it's learning about these issues and being upset. So when you learn that there are toxic chemicals in your child's car seat, that's pretty upsetting. And you want, as the consumer, to uh, be able to purchase safe products. And we provide the avenue and the opportunities and the encouragement to bring people with us to the state capitol to uh, lobby as people of faith and talk to their elected officials and the people in power and encourage them to uh, stand up for what is right. And, and generally, um, these are things that are kind of a basic moral compass. It's hard to look someone in the eye and say, I don't. Think, I think it's right that we are poisoning our children. So um, it's not an issue of mixing uh, church and state so much as just bringing that conversation to the table as we represent a large percentage of constituents. This, this type of ministry, this type of outlook on life in regards to the environment and creation care used to be, I mean, it's not like it's a new thing. No. But to me, growing up, as a Protestant, evangelical Christian, it's always one of those secondary things. You know, the Pope mentions in his encyclical that this has to stop being an, an optionary thing for people. It has to stop being a secondary outlook on life, but it, it should be a core virtue of a person of faith. And that, from the two transitions, or that transition between, hey, this is a great thing, and I empower you, Jessica, and Earth Ministry, and the interfaith power and light and awesomeness, and you do it. Great. We'll call you in six months for you to present what you're doing again, and we'll pat you on the back once more. Transition from that into, hey, are you a person of faith? This needs to be a foundation. Where do you see um, everyday things you kind of 
have to push up against when trying to have people change from secondary to foundational? Well, I think the place to start is really reminding folks how interconnected everything is. I personally really think that uh, issues of environmental justice can be the, the issue that brings all justice issues together. Because after all, we're talking about our shared planet. The, the transition between saying, yeah, that sounds nice, and, and people actually taking action, I think, comes when they realize it's rooted deep in their spirituality, in their soul. And a lot of this comes to speaking as a 24-year-old who is kind of seeking reform in organized religion, is wanting this, this desire and craving for the church to uh, practice what it preaches, right? We don't just want to hear it from the pulpit. We want to get out into the streets. And, um, and so what Earth Ministry, we're all about taking action um, and putting, we're all about putting our faith into action. And therefore, when I'm teaching, uh, I do a lot of adult education classes, teaching on college campuses, uh, lobbying, all of that jazz. Uh, I always have action items for people to take, uh, especially when you're talking with something so overwhelming. It can be easy to be paralyzed when you're looking at uh, environmental issues. So, so providing concrete actions and avenues for people to very easily raise their voice as a person of faith. So an example is during the Washington State Legislative Session, there's a phone number you can call, the Legislative Hotline, it's open until 8 p.m. And we always say it's easier than ordering pizza to call the legislative hotline and to tell them how you, and to tell them your beliefs on a certain bill. So you can advocate and you can, you can raise your voice and say, I'm a young woman of faith. I go to Ballard First Lutheran Church. And I think it's morally wrong that we have toxic chemicals in our home furniture and children's products. Therefore, I would like my senators and representative to support this bill and they'll pass that message along directly and so it doesn't have to be ways that are uh, really daunting and um, that you have to take time off work and actually go down to the capitol but it's providing ways that are convenient for people meaningful and once they have that experience and they say oh wow that really wasn't too hard um, then they are more likely to go encourage somebody else to pass it on. So I also always leave with the sense that we need to grow the movement and have people actually visualize two people that they want to take and talk to about this issue because it has to start with the conversation, again, of saying, why are you composting? Why are you taking the time after we finish lunch to figure out what goes where? Right, following those signs get hard sometimes. Right, but if you explain to people, you know, this isn't my planet to trash. This is God's gift to me. Therefore, I can take 20 seconds to figure out where to put my chip bag. Then that could change the mind and the heart of the person that you're encountering. So there's two levels. There's that personal level of uh, being relational and articulating our values, but then also bringing that into uh, the realm of advocacy where we can uh, call for more large-scale change. The great part of this interfaith aspect that you bring to the table with the organization you're part of is that, you know, the ability to learn from one another. Right. And, you know, everything you just mentioned, I buy in. And hopefully more people will 
begin to buy in. But these aren't just ideas of a small sample size group of people. These are ideas from people who have been doing this for a long time. And, you know, a demographic that I want to bring up that really we can learn from and or your organization has been learning from for years is a Native American community who's really their core beliefs, their everyday life is centered around environmental care, environmental justice. And you mentioned earlier, but a tribe that you've been working with is the... Uh, the Lummi Nation. The Lummi Nation. And they're located, I believe, somewhere close to Bellingham. And wh what are some of the things you've been doing with that? Because for a Lutheran organization surrounded around environmental care, working with Native American tribes, that's a unique combination, which I think is fascinating. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, and b before I get kind of to our work with the Lummi, um, that's a great point that this isn't necessarily new information. And that's one of Pope Francis's main points of his encyclical, is that this is not a new message. Care for creation is deeply rooted in Catholic social teaching, as well as in the DNA of all religious traditions. So it's really bringing that back to the forefront of our attention. And like you were saying earlier, realizing it's not a secondary aspect but needs to kind of be one of our core values love working with the lummy and um, it's a really interesting dynamic especially uh, the amount of reconciliation that um, was required to get to where we are today there was a a letter of apology written from faith leaders to the native tribes of the northwest in the 80s it was reaffirmed in the 90s and just this last fall earth ministry uh, worked to get one um, to, to get the letter again reaffirmed um, say, saying specifically that people of faith signed by all denominational executives in the Northwest are will stand in solidarity with the tribes against fossil fuel mega projects threatening their sacred land so it was interesting because uh, the amount of grace really in this partnership as the Lummi reached out to Earth Ministry they pulled out that letter and they said, hey, remember this letter? We're calling in our favor. You said you'd have our backs and we need you. And they, they took that directly to Earth Ministry. Wow. And we said, okay, we'll step up to the plate and uh, had a great response from uh, leadership across denominations. Um, and we have done different educational awareness events. A big one was our totem pole journey. So the Lemmy have carved two healing totem poles they're in the process of carving a third that they've taken on journeys throughout along the the rail lines where coal and oil are threatening communities both native and non-native and take it along for blessings and they fill that totem pole with love and blessings and then they take it to uh, communities that will be most uh, most direly impacted most impacted so the uh, last one went up to uh, Canada to um, combat the tar sands. There's also one that was given to Tsleil-Waututh up in Vancouver. So Earth Ministry helped organize the totem pole journey and the stops. We also recently put on a conference, and uh, it was close to Earth Day, a conference, uh, Protect Our Salish, Salish Sea, that also works to bring in the tribes with various environmental organizations 
various environmental nonprofits and organizers um, and to work on a strategic strategic game plan moving forward together. So it's definitely an important component of interfaith work. It's often overlooked, which is a shame because after all this land belongs to the First Nations that were here before us and uh, it's honoring and remembering that. That bit about the Lummi Nation that you just shared with us really reminds me of the Pope's introduction to the encyclical where he says, the earth itself, burdened and laid waste, is among the most abandoned and maltreated of our poor. So not only are you directly helping an obvious oppressed community of the Native American people here in America with all this immigration nonsense going on, I mean, these are the people that were here, and these are the people that have been affected the most, like truly affected. This was their land. And not only are you helping them directly, you're helping the environment. There are not a lot of groups of people that have been more oppressed than the Native Americans in America. I mean, we have, I mean, they definitely classify under the people of color who have been oppressed for hundreds of years here. But they're definitely part of that group. But even deeper than that, what the Pope is saying is the environment here. That along with the Native Americans, along with the African Americans and the Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, the, the earth, God's creation, God's gift to us, something that we essentially are borrowing and using and supposed to be intended for us as a heavenly place, has been trashed and abused over and over again. Um, and, and that connection between the oppressed community and the oppressed environment, I think it's great because like the Pope said, and like you're saying to us, Jessica, is it, it's time to stop separating these issues between the people's justice, the earth's justice, our own justice, what is justice, and looking at it as a whole justice issue for the community moving forward, God's creation, including us and the environment. How can churches, organizations get more involved with specifically earth ministry and the interfaith, power, and life? Hit me up. <laughs> uh, check out <laughs> Give our her website. A holler. Yeah. Uh, Jessica at earthministry.org. Uh, I am an open resource, and we're always excited to get involved with uh, new congregations to connect you with our network of existing congregations. I just had. Um, today an email from a congregation out on Whidbey Island that wants to go solar. So I got them in touch with three of our congregations who have gone solar in the past two years. Um, so a lot of it is joining a, a network and uh, learning from other people's successes and challenges. And uh, then you'll get hooked into our campaigns. And we do a, a great job of trying to keep, trying to help the faith community stay informed about current issues and providing those opportunities for engagement. We're not pushing a political stance. We're not pushing a certain side of the wing. Oh, no. Creation care is so bipartisan. The amount, the percentage of scientists who believe, quote unquote, that climate change is real is the same ratio as the percentage of doctors who believe that smoking causes cancer. So we're really past the point of disputing whether or not we have an issue. 
we have an issue. The issue is climate change. It's climate disruption. We're seeing it right now. You can't see blue sky in Seattle today because there's so much smoke from wildfires. Right. It's just the beginning of July. It's only going to get worse. We have wildfires. We have our shellfish industry plummeting. These are issues that affect us all, left and right, red and blue. I heard it's up to 97% of scientists that are just like, hey, people, I don't care who you vote for. The sky is not blue anymore. (laughs) What are we going to do about it? Right. And it's not that we don't want to bring those debates into our churches. We want to get to the core values uh, behind why we should care again as people of faith. And that doesn't have to do with party lines. That has to do with uh, this beautiful gift of creation that's been entrusted to us and, and our moral obligation to care for it. Well, Jessica, there's tons of resources for people out there, tons of ways people can get plugged in. This is a moral issue. This is a real issue. This is reality happening right now. We look around. We, we've taken advantage of the beauty that God's given us. But it's time to kind of capture that beauty and help that beauty be not only sustainable, but kind of reach its potential once again. And I think the work that you're doing at Earth Ministry is awesome, great. It's a new generation. The millennials care. The millennials are starting. Not starting. It's just embedded in us. There's something in us that that we, we care about these things. And now there are avenues where millennials as well as generation xers y's baby boomers the minecraft generation there there are ways where they can get plugged in and earth ministry is one of them yeah you can contact jessica directly through the website through her twitter handle which is don't have a twitter just kidding that's that's (laughs) anti twitter is not good for the environment her boss jesse Jessie Dye mm-hmm. is our program and outreach director, and she was recently on NPR. NPR, shout out. About That's this. big time. Yeah. National. National and local KUOW. That's awesome. And Leanne Barris is our executive director. So we're here to be resources for the community. Right. Great ways to plug in. Thank you for being with us, Jessica. Thanks for having me. I am I am going to... Anyway, thank you. Praise be. That's the name of the Institute. Thank you for listening to the Dead Sea Podcast. The theme song is performed by The Bushies. Check them out on Facebook or iTunes now.